Daniel chapter 3. I've entitled this message, His Plan, Our Purpose. His Plan, Our Purpose. All right, we're going to go ahead and start by uh, reading our passage uh, this morning. And so I'll have you stand out of respect for God's word if you're able to this morning. And look there at verse 1, it says this. King Nebuchadnezzar made an image of gold whose height was six, 60 cubits and his breadth 6 cubits. He set it up on the plain of Dora and in the province of Babylon. All right, go ahead and uh, go down to verse 8. In verse 8 it says this, Therefore at, the at, um, at that time certain Chaldeans came forward and maliciously accused the Jews. They declared to the king Nebuchadnezzar, O king, live forever. You, O king, have made a decree that every man who hears the sound of the horn, pipe, lyre, uh, trigon, harp, bagpipe, and every kind of music shall fall down and worship the golden image. And whoever does not fall down and worship shall be cast in the burning fiery furnace. There are certain Jews whom you have appointed to the affairs of the province of Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. These men, O king, pay no attention to you. They do not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. Let's go ahead and stop there and we'll ask the Lord's blessing upon our time. Lord, we do pray that once again you would meet with us. Lord, we are here to uh, worship you. We've worshipped you in, in music and in offering this morning. And now we gather around your word again uh, to learn more about you as well as allow your word to continue to change our lives uh, through your spirit. And so, Lord, I do pray that your word uh, would affect our lives, that we would be changed individuals because we have been under your word today. Again, Lord, as we think about um, the gospel, as we think about Easter, we do thank you for Jesus Christ, who made all of this possible, that we gather today not in our own strength, but we really gather today in the fact that Jesus Christ died for our sins and that he was buried and that he rose again and that we can have hope that we as, as individuals can be right with you, not because of our own righteousness, but because Christ's righteousness has been given to us. And so, Lord, again, we just pray that you would continue to shape our lives, change our lives, so that we might bring you honor and glory. Lord, we pray that you would meet with us again this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Last month we started a study on sharing the gospel, and, and um, I know that many of you are taking very vigorous notes, and uh, what I'm going to do is I'm actually going to take those two uh, messages, I'm actually going to put it together, uh, make uh, like a little pamphlet, and uh, I'm going to put it on the back table for you guys. Uh, to be able to take with you. So uh, if you missed part of it, or if you missed all of it, or if you weren't able to take notes for one reason or another, um, the notes will be back there in the back for you. Not all the notes, but um, a short uh, pamphlet for you to have the idea of sharing the gospel. And what we did is we entitled that message, The Gospel for Everyone, and we took that title from Matthew 22. And so in Matthew 22, we find the parable of the wedding, the wedding feast. 
And so if you remember in that parable, uh, the, the king, uh, his son is going to get married, go out, and, and uh, the, the servants went out and they, they talked to some individuals and the individuals pretty much ignored them or they treated them badly and some even killed the servants. And the king was angry, the king actually wiped out those people. And then he gave them a new command. He sent more servants out. And we see this in verse, uh, verse 8. This is again Matthew 22, verse 8. And then he said to his servants, that is, the king said to the servants, the wedding feast is ready, but those invited were not worthy. Go, therefore, to the main road and invite to the wedding feast as many as you find. And so we entitled that message, The Gospel for Everyone, because we looked at this idea that the command that the, ga the king gave was go find, invite. So go therefore into the main roads, and as many as you find, invite to the wedding feast. And so in that parable, we don't have any indication that the servants maybe didn't like the commands. We have no indication that they didn't take the commands seriously. Matter of fact, they did go out, and if you remember the conclusion there, is after they went out, they got everybody, and the and the banquet hall was full of people. They did exactly what the Lord had commanded, to go find invite. They did that. They took the command of the king very seriously. Matter of fact, the early, the early church took the message and the spreading of the gospel very seriously, and I'm glad they did. Because if they didn't take it seriously then it could have been changed or altered, but it was preserved because it was so valuable to them. And so a couple of years ago now, we looked at uh, the, the Word of God and how we got the, the Old Testament and the New Testament. And one of the reasons why there are so many New Testament manuscripts is because the church is being persecuted. Christians were dying. And, and some of those manuscripts that were being copied, they were being destroyed. And so what they were doing is, is they were taking as many people as they could, and they were trying to get those copied and, and sent off to different places so that if there was a place that was persecuted and that church was closed down and those people were killed and those manuscripts were destroyed, well, at least they would have others in other places. They took the gospel and the message of the gospel very seriously as seriously as we see Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego when they're faced with this command. Command to worship this golden idol, this golden statue. And notice what those Chaldeans said. Well, there's these three Jews, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and their words were, they pay no attention to you, king, and your gods in the idol that you set up. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego had already chosen that they were going to obey God over the king. And so notice there in verse 15. So this is Daniel 3, verse 15. Look a little bit further down. In verse 15 it says this, and, and so uh, King Nebuchadnezzar, I, he gives them a second chance. Normally kings don't give a second chance. But here the king does give a second chance, and so he says this. Now if you are ready... Fall down and worship the image that I have made. And if you do not worship, you will immediately be cast into the burning, fiery furnace. And who is the God who will deliver you 
out of my hands. And so here, as, as Nebuchadnezzar is, is, is speaking, he himself is convinced that he holds all the power in this situation. But of course, does he hold all the power in the situation? He does not. He thinks to himself, who is the God, that is, who is the deity who will deliver you out of my hands? And we know the rest of the story, right? So we know God is a sovereign God, and his will is not to be thwarted. And so uh, God does exactly what he desires to do. And so the, the uh, God, Yahweh, the king of Israel, was able to deliver Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego out of the hand of the king, though the king was convinced that no God could do that. And so today we want to explore the topic of God's sovereign will. Because some Christians, in an effort to trust God's sovereign will, have given up on sharing the gospel. And so that's why we entitled it, uh, really what comes off of our banner, His Plan, Our Purpose this morning. And uh, some Christians, as, as, they, as they go through life and their words and their actions, they begin to question whether or not is, it is important to go find and invite. Now, in the parable, we see that uh, the servants, they did not question the importance of the king's commands. But sometimes in churches today, we do uh, begin to think about, well, God is sovereign. Why share the gospel? So we begin to think to ourselves, well, you know what? God is sovereign over the affairs of salvation He's the one that really does the saving. And so if God is sovereign, why share the gospel? There's a very similar argument that comes out of that, and, the, and it is this. If God is sovereign, why pray? If God is completely in control of the affairs of mankind, why pray? Why share the gospel? Why pray? Matter of fact, this is what Proverbs 19.21 says. Many are the plans in the mind of a man, all right? So, so we as, as men and women, we have lots of plans. There's lots of things we'd like to do. But then notice that second part. But it is the purpose of the Lord that will stand. And so that draws some Christians to begin to think this way. If God is sovereign, why try and do anything at all? Why try and do anything at all? And so really, we want to we talk about that idea because it goes right along with, with, our, with our theme for this year, Be My Witnesses, His Plan, Our Purpose. It is completely true that we serve a sovereign God who is sovereign over creation. He has all the power. Matter of fact, as we think about this idea of sovereignty, somebody might ask the question, what does it mean that God is sovereign? And uh, so I just want to give you a little definition here, and I just want to say there's whole books written on the topic of God's sovereignty. And, and so I don't plan to add to that those, those books. What I want to do, though, this morning is to give us an understanding of how his will connects with our life. All right, his will connects with our life. And so, how can we got, define God's sovereignty? God's sovereignty refers to his absolute 
an unrivaled rule over his creation and their circumstances. Now, that's kind of at the heart of, of what we mean when we talk about God as being a sovereign God, that he has absolute unrivaled rule over his creation and their, their uh, circumstances. Now, there may be people in the world today that do try to go against his rule. All right, there may be people that try to go against his rule. Matter of fact, Satan is, is one of those individuals where he thinks that somehow he can go against the Lord, but we've already seen the end of, of revelations. We know what's going to happen. So Satan will be bound during the millennium. He will be brought back out. There will be a, a great war, and he will be thrown. He will be cast into the lake of fire, never to come out again. And so though there may be individuals in this life who try to thwart God's rule, truly God has complete control. He has complete control over, over us as well. And so very simply, we can say this. He is king of all creation. He has no rival, though people in this world may try to rival his will. This is one of the reasons why David says this. Now, to give you an idea, let me give you some context of, of Psalm 139. Psalm 139 is, is David, and he's looking at uh, those who are right with the Lord and those who are enemies of the Lord or those who do evil. And, and this is his conclusion. These are the two last verses of Psalm 139. And he says this, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. And see if there be any grievous way in me, and lead me in the way everlasting. Now, David is not saying, God, you have permission to look over my life. David is not giving God permission. David already knows God is sovereign. Instead, what David is doing is he is saying, there may be things in my life that I don't see God, reveal those things to me, and where I have gotten off the path of your will, help me to get back on the path of your will. This is, a, this is a really a, a, a great prayer for each one of us. And see if there be any grievous way in me, and lead me in the way everlasting. If I have strayed from your will, Lord, put me back in your will Point those things out to me. Allow me to be sensitive to your leading. So that was David's prayer. I think that is a, a good prayer for us to consider as well. That if we're off, if we've, if we've taken a side road, that we would get back on. Matter of fact, uh, at Jesus, as he was communicating how to pray, so remember Jesus Christ, he prayed uh, all the time, constantly had fellowship with his, with his father, so much so that his disciples uh, began to question and say, hey, I, we notice you pray all the time, teach us how to pray, and, and so Jesus says this, pray like this, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And, and that's the part I want to point out here is that Jesus Christ actually taught his disciples to pray, your will be done, that is God's will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. And so really what Jesus Christ was communicating to the disciples is 
this should be your desire, and this is what you should be praying about. That it would not be my will that's accomplished, but God's will that would be accomplished. The idea was this. God, may your will be done through me and not my own. It's the same thing of, of David. Keep me on that path. Help me to follow after your will. Jesus teaching his disciples was to desire, or t- Jesus taught his disciples to desire God's will more than their own. And so when we start to talk about God's sovereignty, we must talk about God's will as king. Because truly God is sovereign over his creation. He is king over this world. Satan may have temporary leadership, but that is temporary. One day that will be taken away. When I was in, when I was in school, I remember when I was in college, there was, there was a, uh, um, one of those Sundays, and, and uh, the, the, uh, the teacher there, is, his name was uh, Dr. Wood, and, and he, pro- he taught from the Old Testament uh, often. But uh, one of the passages he taught on was Lot and his daughters after they uh, left um, Sodom and Gomorrah. And so he went into the fact that uh, the, the Sodom and Gomorrah had really affected the daughters of Lot. And so without going into the, into the details, if you want to look it up, you can. But, but what ends up happening is after they get out of Sodom and Gomorrah, the daughters end up uh, making Lot drunk, and they do some, some wrong things with, with their father. And, and so I remember Dr. Wood, as he was preaching, he was talking about the fact that the world affects us whether or not we see it. And the world affected the daughters of Lot. And after, even after they were out of that city, they still made wrong choices. And that really affected me as a young man there in college. And, and why? Well, because I went to a, a public school my, my whole life, and I came from a, a divorced family, and, and because we weren't regular, we weren't regulars in church. And so I began to think to myself, I have lived in the world uh, previously, and, and once I leave Bob Jones, what's going to happen? Will I just get sucked right back into the world and to be honest, there are some people that I went to school with at Bob Jones that, that did. They got sucked right back into the world. And if you went in and you looked on their Facebook, you would think that they were an unsaved individual because of some of the things that they post. And that was something that I struggled with. And I remember I brought it up at lunch. And so we were having lunch, me and my friends. And I just said, you know what? I'm wondering, because of my background... Will I get sucked back out into the world? And I remember one of my friends said this. She said this. She said, you know what? My pastor's talked about that very thing. And you know what he said? And of course I was like, no, tell me. Tell me, what did he say? And she said this. He said that you don't have to worry about where you're going to be in two years or five years. Don't worry about where you're going to be after you get out of school. Instead... Be concerned with this, that you stay in God's will today. And if you're in God's will today, guess what? At the end of the week, where will you be? You will be in God's will. And at the end of the month, where will you be? Well, you'll be in God's will. 
And at the end of the year, where will you be? You'll be in God's will. And then in five years, and in 10 years, and 25 years down the road, where will you be? You'll be in God's will. Don't worry about where I will be in 25 years. Just worry about where you are today. And make sure you stay on that path of God's will. And I remember I, I, I got some real encouragement that day from that concept that I don't have to worry about being sucked back off into the world. That the time that I have with the Lord while I was in college and now after college, as long as I continue, I continue to grow. Now, am I a perfect individual? No, obviously not. But my desire is to continue to move forward with the Lord, to stay in his will. And so I asked uh, one of the questions as, as to a group of people just like us. And I asked this question. Let me make sure I'm not getting too off, far off on my notes. I, I asked this question um, to a group. It was actually at a, at a potluck, um, a good Baptist potluck with lots of food. And, and I asked this question. I said, can we know God's will? And, uh, of course, not everyone raised their hand at one time. And, and so um, this lady timidly kind of raised her hand a little bit. And I said, yeah, what, what do you think? Can we know God's will? And this was her response. No. We can't know God's will because we don't know the future. Now, that's true. We don't know the future. God knows the future. But we should consider something that is true in connection to God's will. Because that is a good question for us to consider. Can we know God's will for our life? And when it comes to God's will, we must understand these two truths. Number one, God has a revealed will for mankind. And number two, God has a hidden or secret will for mankind. And so we want to touch on the very, the very first one here, God's revealed will. And of course, if we were going to say God has a revealed will for mankind, where would we go to find God's revealed will? Well, we would go to God's revealed word. We go back to the Bible. What does the Bible say? Matter of fact, uh, here's, here's an illustration. If we talked about the general will for mankind, where may we turn? We might turn to Isaiah 43, 43, 6, and it says this, I will say to the north, give up to the south, and uh, do not withhold. Bring my sons from afar, my daughter from the ends of the earth. Everyone who is called by my name, whom I created for my glory, whom I formed and made. And so a couple of things are pointed out as, as the uh, writer writes this. He says, first of all, we understand that we are created by God. Second of all, we are created for a purpose, and that is to, what, bring God glory. And of course, in the context here, we're talking about uh, God's people whom he called. But the same thing is true for all the rest of creation, because there is only one God. There's not a God for Israel and a God for everybody else. There is only one God and one God only. Matter of fact, in the New Testament... Paul says this in Colossians 1.16, For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and what? For him. 
And so as we think about just mankind, uh, period, and, and we think about, okay, what is God's will for mankind, period, and we have been created for a purpose, and that is to bring God glory, to bring God honor. And so we can go back to God's revealed word and find his revealed will, that really God's desire is that his creation bring him glory. And you know what? One day, all knees will bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and they will all confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. And they will worship him as they should have. But think about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. So here's Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in our opening passage here. King Nebuchadnezzar, he builds this, this, this statue, this golden image. And he says, whenever these instruments are played, you are to bow down and worship this golden image. But Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they say no. And why? Was there like a debate? Well, I don't know. Is this, a, is this a good idea? I mean, if we don't, we can be thrown in the fiery furnace. That doesn't sound like a good day. So why don't we go ahead and just go ahead and bow down? But you know, they did not have to search for God's will. God had already revealed his will on that matter. And that's the reason why they made the decision they made. For them, it was a big deal because it was a big deal to God. And so notice what it says here. This is Exodus chapter 20. This is part of the Ten Commandments here in Exodus chapter 20, verse 3. You shall have no other gods beside, uh, before me. Again, what did the Chaldeans say? They told the king, King, these, these Jews, they pay no attention to you, and they pay no attention to your gods. And so Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they remembered, you shall have no other gods before me. And then it continues, you shall not make for yourself a graven image of any likeness of anything that is in heaven, above or that is in the earth below or that is in the water under the earth you shall not bow down to them or serve them for the uh, for i the lord your god am a jealous god for shadrach meshach and abednego they didn't have to debate about what god's will was in this particular instance god had already revealed his will and so immediately as, as that music began to play, they did not honor the king, and they did not honor that golden image, and they did not honor the gods of Babylon. Why? Because they knew the right thing to do already. God had revealed already to them what his will for their life was, and that was not to bow down and worship any other images because God is a jealous God. Is that very first thing that we need to realize this morning is that God has revealed his will for us. And that whether we're struggling on knowing, okay, what does, what does year 10 have for me, that's, that shouldn't be our concern. Instead, our, our real concern should be, what has God already revealed for me today that I might follow down that path? And so, what is God's general will for our lives? What has he revealed for me that I might continue down that path? However, there's a second part of, of God's will. So that very first part is that there's part of God's will that has already been revealed, and that we could go back to God's word and we could say, hey, you know what, 
does, does God want me to be a, a faithful in my marriage? Yes, we don't have to debate it. We don't have to debate it. It's revealed in God's word. Is it okay to murder? Well, again, it's revealed in, in God's word. And so those are things that we don't have to debate. It's already been revealed. But there is a second part to God's will. That is God's hidden will or God's secret will. That is the things that we don't know that are not clearly revealed or not revealed at all in God's word. And sometimes God does reveal, maybe after the fact, and sometimes God doesn't reveal at all. And so let me give you some illustrations of how this would come into play. Here's some questions that maybe you have thought in your life. How long will I live? All right? We do know in the word of God that David talks about how every one of his days is numbered. That he realizes that God is sovereign from the beginning of his life to the end of his life. God knows how long David is going to live, but David doesn't know how long he's going to live. We don't know how long we're going to live either. And so God does have a will. He does have a purpose for us. But how long will that purpose run? I don't know. When will be our last day? When will we take our last breath? I don't know. How about this? How many kids will we have? How many grandkids will we have? How many great-grandkids will we have? We don't know those, we don't know those answers. What will, be, what will happen to me in the next five years? Will I be in Wilton? Will I be in heaven? Will I be out of state? Will I have my job? Will I lose my job? We don't know any of those things. God knows because God's been there, because God is there. And so we trust him with our future. And we actually see God's, uh, God's hidden will in the statement from Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. So look down at verse 16. Now this is their reply to the king. So notice there in verse 16, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. If it be so, our God, whom we serve, is able to deliver us from the fiery furnace. Notice, that, that goes right against what the king had said earlier. He said, what God, what deity is able to save you, deliver you from my hand? Their response is this. God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the, fire, the, the burning fiery furnace, and he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. Now, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they know the right thing to do. That's easy. All right, God has revealed that to them. They know what they're going to do, and they also know this. God is sovereign over their lives, and that he has full control to deliver them out of the hand of King Nebuchadnezzar. But then, notice what they say next. But if not. Now, what are they referring to? But if he doesn't deliver us out of your hands. He does have the power, but he may not. And this is where this idea of God's hidden will, God's secret will comes into play. They know God's revealed will. Don't bow down and worship these idols. They know that to be true. 
They also know this to be true. God can uh, free us from this fiery furnace. God can free us from your hand. He can deliver us from you, O king. But they're unsure of this. What will God do? That's what they're unsure. They know he can, but they're unsure about will he. But, and notice as they go on, but if not, be it known to you, O king, that we will not serve your gods, the deities of of the king, or worship the golden image that you have set up. They've already made a decision in their mind. This is far more important than even our lives. And I just want you to, want you to know, king, you made a statement that what God can deliver us from your hand, and I want to let you know that the God of Israel can do that. But will he? I don't know. And that's really where we see these, these two aspects of God's sovereign will. All right, so God communicated to Israel, do this, don't do that. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego said, we ought to do this and not to do that. But then when it got to that next step, they said, but we don't know what God is going to do. And so God does have a hidden will or a secret will for our lives. He doesn't allow us to know when our last day on earth will be, when we will take our last breath. He knows that, but we do not. Matter of fact, we also see that even in the Lord's Prayer. So we started looking at that a little bit earlier, but uh, to remind us here in Matthew 6, at 10 and 11, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And then he goes on to say this, Give us this day our daily bread. And so Jesus was encouraging the disciples to trust the Lord and rely on the Lord for their daily needs. Now, sometimes, I mean, we live here in the United States and many of our needs are already taken care of. Matter of fact, even if even the, the homeless people in the United States have it far better than even the working people in other countries. When you think about people in other countries, they really are starving. And so there is a desire to really lean on the Lord and, and to trust the Lord even for that next meal that will come along. But at the same, at the same time, will God provide that daily meal? They don't know. They're relying on trusting the Lord in relying on his hidden will. And so Jesus taught his disciples to ask for their daily needs and to trust God for the future. We may not know what tomorrow holds or next year will bring, but God already knows. I, I sat down, I, the Lord brought this to my mind. We, uh, me and, and Jacob and, and Andrew uh, Lovelace uh, went and had lunch with Ron DeGard and we were talking about this idea of of God's will and, and all of that, it brought to mind uh, a conversation that I had with my pastor growing up. And so my pastor was Eldon Martins, and I grew up there at Central Baptist Church there in Clovis, a, a great pastor. And, and before I left for college, we, we sat down, uh, I guess it must have been that, that uh, summer before I left for college, and we went and got some coffee at, at Starbucks. 
And I remember we were just kind of like chatting about uh, what the Lord was doing in my life and, and uh, God's will and all of that. And, and uh, I remember my pastor said this. He said, John, I just want you to be open to wherever God leads. He said, John, you may not know this, but you know, when, when I felt called to the ministry, I felt called to go to missions. He said, John, you may not know this, but all the classes that I took were all geared towards being a missionary. He said, John, actually, I applied for a mission board, and I was accepted to a mission board. And, and I was planning to go to the mission field, and, and I went and, and I did some type of physical. He didn't go into details, but he did some type of physical, and the physical revealed that he was not a good candidate to go wherever he was planning to go. So God had placed in his heart to be a missionary, but then God redirected him. And I remember sitting there with my coffee in my hands, sitting there looking at my pastor and thinking to myself, well, praise the Lord. God kept you here in California. You were my pastor. I got saved through your ministry. I got called through your ministry. And you were planning to go somewhere else in the world and God kept you right here in California. And the reason why he told me that, he said, John, just be flexible. That wherever God leads, just be willing to take that way. And you know what? For Eldon Martins, he thought this was God's will. That's, that's where everything was, was headed. But he didn't realize that several years down the line, God actually had a secret will for his life. And that was to stay here in California, to be my pastor. And so this idea of, of uh, letting the Lord kind of lead, the Lord leads in, in several ways. One of them is through his word. His revealed word gives us his revealed will. Another way is through our circumstances. Sometimes God closes doors, and that's... That's an indicator that that's not the right way to go. So we go through another door. And then sometimes God uses his spirit, this, the leading of the spirit to direct us. And that's oftentimes what, what pastors talk about when they, when they talk about uh, being called into full-time ministry. There's, there's just, it's not like the, the clouds opened up and, and God began to, to speak to a pastor and say, John, this is what I want you to do. But instead, there's, there's a filling. There's a filling in your heart that this is what God wants you to do. And, and no matter how much you say, no, 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 that's not a real filling. It just keeps coming back and coming back and coming back. And eventually you say, okay, Lord, if that's what you want me to do, that's what I'll do. And so really, as, as we start off this morning, we, we ask some questions that sometimes seem like they're conflicting, which is this. Sometimes we ask these questions. If God is sovereign, why should we share the gospel? If God is sovereign, why should we pray? If God is sovereign, why should we do anything at all? And really, those are the wrong questions to ask. We should not ask, should we share the gospel? Should we pray? Should we do anything for the Lord? Because he is completely sovereign. He's going to do whatever he wants. Therefore, he... There's, there's nothing for me to do. I'll just do whatever I want. Instead, we ought to know that God is working behind the scenes 
whether we see it or not, and we don't always see it. We, we have no idea what God is doing in our hearts. All right? If you're a parent today, you have no idea what God is doing in your kids. All right? If you have some family that is, is unsaved, and maybe you're, you're praying for some individuals, you have no idea what God is doing behind the scenes, things you can't see, but the way that God is preparing. And so we might not know whom will be saved through the gospel presentation that we share. But that's not what's important. The importance is that we obey and we stay in God's will. Our, our goal is simply to stay in God's current will and let us take us to tomorrow and next week and next year. God is sovereign, and he has revealed his will for believers in many ways. And so, back to that question of, is it important for me to share the gospel? This is what Paul writes, and I think this is pretty clear through the New Testament, that when it comes to really the next generation, God, for whatever reason, because this is kind of some of God's hidden will, he could have chosen many ways to communicate the gospel, but he chose us as believers. So Paul says this, Now then, uh, how then will they call on him whom they have not believed, and how are they to believe in him who they have never heard? And how are they to hear unless someone is preaching? Now, oftentimes when we think about preaching, we think about the preacher or the pastor, but actually what Paul is talking about is someone that simply shares the gospel. And that's what he means by this preaching. In verse uh, 15, And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, How beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. Again, that good news is a reference to what? The gospel, because the gospel is good news. So Paul says, how will they, how is anyone to be saved unless there are people out there sharing that good news? And so the question for us is not really, should I share the gospel? But really, when and how should we share the gospel? That's really what our question should be, not whether or not I should share the gospel, but when and how I should share the gospel. Now, what about prayer? Is prayer important? Because obviously God knows, uh, knows everything, even before we pray. Matter of fact, David, in that Psalm 139, he says, even before even the words upon my tongue, you already know. And that's true. God being a sovereign God, and he knows, he's, he, he has complete knowledge, he already knows what we're going to pray. But the word of God says this, Therefore confess your sins one to another, and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. So here James reminds us that, and again, I don't understand everything, but I do know this. God has a will for us, a revealed will, and that is that we pray. God also has a hidden will for us, and that is how he's going to use our prayers. Sometimes he says yes, sometimes he says no, sometimes he says not yet. But he does have a revealed, uh, a revealed will for even our prayers. Go ahead and turn over. I want to see this firsthand. Turn over to 1 Kings 17, 17. We're doing good on time today, so uh, don't worry about the time. 1 Kings chapter 17, 
I'm not going to put these up on the screen. So if you uh, if you're unable to to, to uh, turn there this morning, just go ahead and listen as we as we read. This is First Kings seventeen seventeen. Let me give you some context here. We have Elijah, and Elijah is coming through town, and, and there's a lady that, that wants a son, and, and Elijah actually says, you're, you're going to have a son. But then something bad happens to the son, so we're going to pick up that, that part of the story in verse 17. And, and after this, the son of the woman, the mistress of the house, became ill. And his illness was so severe that there was no breath left in him. And she said to Elijah, what have you against me, O man of God? You have come to me to bring my sin to remembrance and to cause the death of my son. And he said to her, give me your son. And he took him from her arms and carried him up into the upper chamber where he lodged and laid him on his own bed. And he cried to the Lord, O Lord my God, have you brought calamity upon this widow whom I sojourn by killing her son? Then he stretched himself upon the child three times and cried to the Lord, O oh Lord my God, let this kid's life come into him again. And the Lord listened to the voice of Elijah, and the life of the child came into him again, and he revived. And Elijah took the child and brought him down from the upper chamber into the house and delivered him to his mother. And Elijah said, See, your son lives. And the woman said to Elijah, Now I know that you are a man of God, that the word of the Lord, uh, that the word of the Lord is in your mouth, and so, so what did we just read? All right, this this son, it says his breath has gone out of him. That means he's dead. And Elijah takes him and he takes him up to to his chamber where he's been staying, and he begins to pray over this this boy, this young man, and the life comes back into this young man the God of Israel hears Elijah's prayer and answers Elijah's prayer again did God already know what Elijah was going to say yes did God already know this man was going to be in this this trial this this lady was going to be in this trial yes but nonetheless God used the prayers of Elijah to bring life back to this boy and so does is God sovereign? Does he need our prayers? No. But that does he desire that we pray to him? Yes. And so we don't need to be concerned with, well, what if God doesn't answer that prayer? I mean, we should be praying according to God's will. We shouldn't be praying, well, Lord, help me to win the lotto. All right, that's not a prayer request I think that we should be praying for. Uh, but um, uh, we can pray for things and let God intervene. And matter of fact, that's what happens to Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And so they, they do what they're supposed to do. And, and notice as we pick up the story here, this is in Daniel chapter 3, verse 22. Because of the king's order was urgent and the uh, furnace overheated, the flame of the fire killed those men who took up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. All right, so there was no smoke and mirrors here. All right, the flame was very, very hot, so hot that these men that threw Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego died. They burned up because of how hot it was. And then in verse 23, and these three men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, 
fell, bound into the fiery furnace, a burning fiery furnace. Then King Nebuchadnezzar was astonished and rose up in haste. And he declared to his counselors, How, did we not cast three men bound into the fire? And they answered, uh, and said to the king, true, O king. And he, and he answered and said, but I see four men unbound, walking in the midst of the fire, and they are not hurt. And the appearance of the fourth is like the son of the gods. Now, Nebuchadnezzar is using some words here to talk about a, a, a son of a deity because he doesn't know the God of Israel. He doesn't realize that this is actually the son of God. And that here, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they did not know God's hidden will for their lives. If he decides to free us from your hand, King Nebuchadnezzar, great. If he doesn't, just want to let you know, we're not going to bow down and worship anyways. And because they trusted God, because they really stepped out on faith, God gave them a wonderful experience. Now, this is not the same experience that everybody has. There were lots of people in the, in the, in the New Testament church, in the early church, that they were put to death. Many of the disciples, many of the apostles uh, were put to death. God did not free them. There were times where God did free them. I think about like Peter, he's in jail, he's ready to be put to death. And uh, they bring him out of jail and he's, he's freed. I think about some of the things that happen around the world even today. I mean, we have so many freedoms in our country. When we think about uh, be my witnesses, his plan, our purpose, we can freely do that. But in other countries, they cannot do that. They might have that as their theme, but they do it in secret because they're concerned about that persecution. But they don't stop spreading the gospel because it is important to them. And it was important to the New Testament church. They could have said, you know what? God is sovereign. He's going to do it as, as he wants. Let's just go ahead and keep our lives safe. But instead, they said, you know what? It is more important for us that we spread the gospel. It's more important that we really be persecuted in the same way that Christ be persecuted, that the gospel would continue forward. Of course, they didn't know what God was going to do, but they knew what they should do. And so we today, we have a great opportunity, but sometimes we're afraid. Sometimes we're concerned what will people think? What will people do? How will people react? We know that uh, one of the things you don't talk about in, in the world today is, well, you don't talk about politics, and you don't talk about religion, all right? So those are the two things that normally we try to stay away from. But really, people need Christ. And again, how will they accept the gospel unless someone shares it with them? And so God has chosen us as believers, to carry that message. And so this, is, this, is, this should be our prayer. Again, as, as, as David prayed, search me, O God, know my heart, try me and know my thoughts, and see if there be any grievous way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. This isn't just dealing, dealing with, with uh, sharing the gospel. This is really just our whole life. Have we begun to adopt ideas 
which are not in line with God's will. And again, how do we find out what God's will is? God has revealed his will. God also reveals his will through our circumstances, and God also reveals his will through his spirit. And so may we be courageous as Christians, remembering that really the gospel is his plan, and he has given us our purpose. As believers, his desire is for us to share that good news. We may not know who gets saved through it, and that's fine, because that's all up to him. But what we ought to do is God has revealed to us that we simply share that good news, his plan and our purpose. Let's go ahead and pray. Lord, we do thank you again for the gospel as we focused on that today. And that really, as we think about Jesus Christ, the gospel meant enough to you that you sent your son into this world to walk under the law, that it was important enough to you that you had your son die on the cross for us. It was important enough to Christ that he willingly gave up his life and really counted that, that time as a time of joy because he realized that that was going to be the step that we needed to be in a correct relationship with you. And Lord, as we kind of went down this trail today and we've talked about God's sovereignty and, and the fact that you are king of all creation, that you have unrivaled rule over your creation and its circumstances. And so, Lord, we pray that you'll help us to be good children, good sons and daughters of the king, that as in that parable that those messengers were sent out to go and to find and to invite. And we know that you have given us the message of reconciliation. Lord, help us to be courageous. Help us to be faithful to your will. That I don't, I don't always understand why you chose us as broken mankind to communicate a life-giving message. And yet, that was your purpose. That was your plan. Help us to follow in your footsteps. Help us to follow your will for our lives and for our church, for our ministry and for our school. May the gospel continue to touch lives, change lives, put people in a right relationship with you. Lord, help us. Give us courage to go find and invite people to have a relationship with you. In Jesus' name, amen.